Welcome to Your True Calling. I'm so glad you're here. I'm Dr. Michelle Chapel, a psychologist and a rock star. I've helped thousands of people find their true purpose by discovering their one-of-a-kind superpowers. Each week, I'll share tools and client success stories to help you find gifts you don't know you have so that you can thrive in a career that fills your soul and passion projects that make you feel whole. Hello, everyone. I'm so excited to be talking to Eddie Watkins Jr. today. He's a bass player, singer, and songwriter from Detroit, Michigan, who has recorded with Marvin Gaye, Quincy Jones, Barbara Streisand, Santana, Cher, Diana Ross, you name it. Uh, We talk about how Eddie recognized his musical talent when he was seven years old and the best clue for knowing when you found your superpower. We also cover how Eddie became a premier A-list session bass player for Motown, but success and the fast life led him to substance abuse, recovery, and a spiritual search for deeper meaning in life. Hitting bottom can be a wonderful opportunity to answer your greater calling and be your best self. And Eddie is doing just that. On June 13th, he kicks off his Peace on Earth tour to help unify our nation. Let's get into it. Hi, Eddie. I'm so happy that you're on my podcast today. Thank you so much for being here. Hi, Michelle. How are you? I'm good. I'm really good. How are you doing? Excellent. Excellent. Thank you. (laughs) Well, you're an amazing musician. You're an amazing person. You've had a really interesting life journey. You were born and raised in Michigan, home of Motown. And the reason that we know each other is because I played uh, my own music at uh, the Center of Spiritual Living up in Seattle when you were the music director there. Yes. Yes. And I remember, uh, because I've played in a lot of churches around the country, but I remember thinking, whoa, this guy's really good. <laughs> He's really, really good. What's up with that? <laughs> and then I started learning about your Motown background and just really blown away. So again, thank you. For mm-hmm. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah. So just for listeners who haven't uh, heard this podcast before, uh, it is designed to help you find a gift that perhaps you are not aware of having. I work with a lot of people who don't know what all their gifts and passions are. And I like to interview people who learned what theirs were early on because it leads you to your true calling. And I think in your case, you've had a couple of callings from the way yes. I look at it. Yeah, right? Okay. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So I thought uh, I would just ask you some questions about your life journey and just sort of dig in there a little bit. Okay. Um, sound good with you? Yeah, yeah. It's great. When did you first know that you were good at music or that music was calling to you? Do you have a memory of that or was there a particular instrument? Yes, I, I do. Um, I um, well, My grandmother, we called her Big Mama. My grandmother uh, took care of me a, a lot when I was a, a child. And I remember once we were at the grocery store and uh, the Beatles were really popular back then. And there was like a little plastic Beatles guitar. You know how they used to have the little uh, uh, turnstile things that went around and they have all of these little plastic toys on it. Well, um, and I begged her for this guitar 
I had to have this guitar and, and, and I finally convinced her to buy this guitar for me. It could have been more than a couple of dollars. It was a little plastic guitar, it had four strings on it, mm -hmm. but it had Ringo, John, George, and uh, and Paul on it. So, <laughs> you know, <laughs> yeah, you know, so, so anyway, I, I, I got home and I, I went into my, my bedroom and I figured out how to tune it. I tuned it in the chord. You know, I mean, not the EADG kind of a thing, you know, but just a regular triad chord. And I just started putting one finger on across the bar and, and started playing chords. Uh -huh. So I figured out that, oh my goodness, I mean, this is really cool. I could actually play songs. And this was the first day that I had it. So my grandmother, she was amazed at this, you know, and uh, she took it upon herself to buy her grandson a piano at seven years old. Now, now this is a different story. Big Mama didn't whip out a, a credit card. She saved her money. She was a cook and she saved her money. And uh, she bought her grandson uh, a stand up, the spinet piano, right? Mm. Sounded great. And to my amazement, my father knew how to play it. Uh, my grandmother, she played piano very well, but she did not play by ear. She could not play anything that wasn't in a hymn book. <laughs> so that was her thing, you know, but I, I was amazed at how she could look at a piece at a piece of paper and these dots and stuff and music, she played music. It was amazing to me. So what happened with me is I discovered that inside of my family was all of this natural talent that I had no idea. And it was like, almost like considered, well, everybody should do something, <laughs> you know? So, right. and, uh, and my mother sang, my sister sang, uh, you know, but um, what happened for me is that through uh, the support of my family, uh, I discovered really early that I had a talent that some other kids didn't have. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, but that talent was not something that um, that I asked for. It was just something that had always been there. Yeah. And uh, my grandmother saw it and then the rest of the family jumped on it. So, so and that's why I stress the importance of, uh, of, of family and parents to, to see the things in a child, see what lights them up you know, and then water it, give them whatever they need, you know, and just let them go because you never know, you may have some, something really, most children have something really rare inside of them. And I think it's up to the parents to just discover what it is and water it, you know? Beautifully put, and that's exactly why I have this podcast for that reason, because a lot of parents don't, they don't. Yeah. I get those people. In my workshops, I coach clients to help them find, they feel lost in life. And, and then often it's because there's something inside them that's always been there that nobody nurtured. So you're, that's beautifully put. Well, you know, Michelle, and, and another thing, in all fairness, a lot of times parents are so busy trying to put food on the table and keep a roof over their head and clothes on the children. That's why the grandparents are so important because my grandparent, my, my grandmother, she gave me that support that, um, I mean, she noticed, my grandmother really noticed me. Yeah. 
You know what I mean? And, and my, my parents noticed me, of course, you know, but they, I was like something for them to support and something for them to do. And some, you know, they were proud of me and everything, but you know, kids are kids and our appetites are insatiable. <laughs> I know. <laughs> so, so, I mean, that's so, that's why it's so important uh, the grandparents and, um, and, the, and to be able to show up for the, the parents because it, it takes a village, you know? Yeah, yeah. Well, I find it interesting too that you later in life switched to bass guitar. I, I have it at age 13. Yeah, 13. Mm -hmm. So how did you know that bass guitar was the instrument for you? Oh, the, the bass chose me. Okay, say more about the that. Bass, the bass chose me and said, gotcha. <laughs> 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 Because so I, I was playing organ, right? I was playing organ and I was in this band and um, I think I was about 12 or something and we were cute, you know, I mean, but um, but uh, I went to this rehearsal at, at, at this guy's house and there was a guitar player, a drummer and a bass player. And I had never really realized what a bass was. I, I knew that I loved the sound and everything, but um, he plugged it in. And then he, he hit the bass and then the, the floor started vibrating and the windows started vibrating. And I said, I, I want that. <laughs> I need that. That's who I am. <laughs> <laughs> and that's what, that's what it started. And, you know, so, so I went to my, my, my dad and I said, dad, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm going to be a bass player. You know, he says, well, that's great, son. You know, you, I'm sure you can do whatever you need to do. I said, well, I'm going to need a bass, Dad. He said, well, I'm, I'm sure you will. <laughs> I said, well, I'm going to need some money for the bass. He says, yeah, I'm, I would imagine that bass costs money. <laughs> so, the, you know, the short story of that is he says, you know, we bought you an organ. And it, what if you want to play sax the next day and, you know, drums the next day? So you're on your own, buddy. Good luck. Okay, so you play a few instruments then. I only played piano, but I just, I felt music and I just, I think I was just had a knack for it. And, uh, you know, so I picked up the bass. I actually bought a bass before I knew how to play it. I, I uh, got a paper route and sold my organ and, um, and bought a bass, you know, I couldn't even drive. My mother had to take me to go get <laughs> the bass, you know, but uh, I, I bought the bass and uh, I tell this story sometimes in my concert. You know, um, I was a bass player in here because when I heard the bass, I knew that that's what I was put here to do. I was put here to play that instrument. Mm -hmm. I didn't know how to play it, but I would walk to school with my bass just so everybody would know that I was a bass player. Oh, wow. I would, I would go to the lunchroom and I would pull it out and I, I had no idea how to play this damn thing, but I would pull it out and I would act like I was playing it, oh. you know? <laughs> But then, you know, but that's the power of intention in, uh, you know, uh, uh, maybe about seven, six, seven years later, you know, um, I'm playing with Barbara Streisand and I'm playing with Diana Ross and I'm playing with uh, Herbie Hancock and, uh, and those people, you know, and uh, so that was like the power of, of intention for me in my life, because like I, I was so sure that that was mine to do that I just didn't even consider 
failing at it, I, that's not possible because <laughs> it's like a do or die thing. You know, I must play this instrument. I must be good or I can't live anymore. Wow. wow. <laughs> that's very, very inspiring. Did you, uh, did you take lessons though? Or how did you learn it? Well, my, um, oh, not, this is what saved my life. My grandmother forced me to take piano lessons against my will, totally. Because I, I, I played by ear and I had everything that a kid could want. I was popular. I lived in Detroit. I would play the piano. Kids would gather around my window. I had a bodyguard, you know, I mean, I was the cat. So why do I need to take piano lessons? I know everything I need to know. <laughs> <laughs> so, but, but what my grandmother said is like, she says like, shut up. And um, her point was that, okay, that's fine around here in the ghetto. That's good. But if you learn how to read music, you can play with anybody anywhere in the world, anytime, because it's all the same language, you know? And I said, but, but what else is there? But, you know, Detroit, she says a big old world out there you know, and there's so much great music and you will have access to that music if you learn how to read music. And that was the most profound thing that happened to me in my musical career because uh, they, they forced me to take music. This is what I would do. My piano teacher would come over and I'd ask her to play the lesson for me before she left. I would memorize it, mm. right? Mm. And then when she came back the next week, I had it down. I didn't have to read it. I memorized it, you know. So this went on for about a year. And I got to tell you, when they finally caught up with me, I, I was in big trouble. <laughs> I, got in, <laughs> ooh, I got in big trouble behind that one, you know. But 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 fortunately, what happened was, um, you know, after um, some very, some convincing from my father, I, I, I buckled down and I learned how to read music. And what happened was when I finally had an opportunity to play bass in the studio, there wasn't much I couldn't read, you know, because I mean, I, I was reading piano music. So now just to read the, the bass part was pretty simple. You know, uh, I just had to learn the fingering and everything. And, um, but uh, that's how it started for me. So at, uh, at age 17, I was playing uh, for Motown, uh, recording for The Temptations. I know. I was reading your biography last night. I was so impressed with that. That is so wonderful. What was that like for you? Did you feel like you fit in or were you nervous at all? Or did you just know, yeah, this is it for me? Well, uh, Michelle, to be honest, what happened for me is that there were a lot of men, a lot of men in my life when I was a youngster that, um, that, that gave me opportunities and shared things with me. Like my my um, my junior high school music teacher, he was a saxophone player in the Motown band, right? So uh, I'm like, I'm uh, 13 years old and he's taking me to a Motown review and I'm sitting backstage and I'm, I'm watching uh, uh, Diana Ross and, and Stevie Wonder and Marvin Gaye, The Temptations, uh, Gladys Knight and the Pips, on and on and on and on. This is Motown, right? And he's playing in the band. So I got a chance to listen to these great musicians and these acts when I was like 13 and 14 years old. Life-changing, life-changing. And the thing that, that really uh, 
pushed me over the edge was James Brown came to town and he was in a place called Cobo Hall in downtown Detroit. I was, my, my, my parents forbid me to go. I snuck out, snuck out of the house and uh, took the bus into downtown Detroit. Didn't have a ticket, didn't even know how to get, got in through the back, through uh, the cargo area, right? And then I ended up center stage at Cobo Hall watching James Brown and the fabulous flames, life-changing, life-changing. I'm 13 years old and I'm watching James Brown. I'm right in the center of the stage. And then he was doing uh, please, 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 where he takes the, the cape. And <laughs> I was right at the center stage and then people start rushing the stage. And I said, this is my life. I, 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 this is what I need to do. This is what I'm here for. Hello, everyone. I hope you are enjoying this interview as much as I am. I just wanted to pause to check in with you. Now, like Eddie, almost every guest I've interviewed for this podcast knew their gifts early on. On the other hand, the clients I've worked with weren't aware of their unique superpowers. That's the reason why they came to me in the first place. But once I helped them uncover their superpowers, they realized that they had them early in life. So what's the deal? Why do some people know their gifts and other people are left in the dark? Well, in Eddie's case, he had a beloved grandmother who noticed his talent. And he found out that his family members were also musical. He even had a teacher who played in a band and he lived in Detroit. Michigan, the home of Motown. When we grow up, we're surrounded by different tribes, groups of people that we are members of. One of our first tribes is our family. Another early tribe is the schools that we go to, and then the hometown that we grow up in. Well, in Eddie's case, he grew up in a family of musicians, so he belonged to that tribe. Check, big green check. And even his teacher played music, so big green check. And of course, he grew up in Motown, so he was in the right town, right town at the right time. <laughs> he found his tribe, his people, right away. Now, in my case, I was also musical early in life. I used to go up to pianos and play them as if I was classically trained when I was five years old. Now, my parents, my family, they never noticed. And when I looked at them, I didn't see anybody who was particularly musical. They were mostly visual artists. So as far as the family tribe was concerned, I got a big red X. And then music wasn't really reinforced in my schools, so that was another big red X. So I forgot that I was good at music. I forgot completely about it. But looking back, something that I'm aware of now is that for the hometown tribe, I got a big green check. And that's, I think, partly responsible for me remembering that I was a musician later in life. So I grew up in Atlanta, Georgia. And it turns out that some very great musical artists and bands have come out of Georgia. The Almond Brothers... R.E.M., 
the B-52s, the Indigo Girls, Sugarland, Little Richard, Ray Charles, Otis Redding, CeeLo Green, Gladys Knight, even Kanye. These were all blueprints for me. And the reason why I'm telling you this is because you also grew up in a family tribe, in a school tribe, in a hometown tribe. And if you found yourself being supported by those groups of people, you probably remember what your gifts are. But if you weren't supported by them or you didn't feel a match, there's a very good chance that you forgot about who you are too because you didn't fit in. And a lot of us end up taking these special gifts that we have and we stuff them down in the unconscious and we forget about them. That's one of the reasons why you might not know who you are. But the good news is it's never too late to find out. Now, you may not remember right now what you love to do early in life, although I bet you anything is going to come back after I ask you some of these other questions. But there are other hints and clues for you to figure out what your superpowers might be. So one of those questions that I want to ask you is what comes naturally to you that you may take for granted? Something that you can do really, really easily without even trying compared to others. So I went on to get a PhD in cognitive psychology at Princeton University, forgetting all about my musical gifts, right? However, while I was there, there was a woman who gave a talk on music perception. And part of that talk involved her playing pairs of melodies and asking us if they were the same or different. La, 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 to me, that, that's easy, same. So at the end of this talk, she had us add up our scores. And it turns out that I had outscored every single person in the room, and that included a dean who had studied classical violin for 10 years. What? That was a wake-up call to me. And I started thinking, you know, I'm always hearing music in my head. I just sort of assumed everybody else heard music in their head all the time, too. I took it for granted that I had that gift, and there's a very good chance that you may be doing the same. So just take a moment to ask yourself, what comes easily to you? Something that you might not even really notice that much just because it's effortless. All right, another clue, if that didn't do it for you, is have you ever noticed that people ask you for your opinion about certain things? Whatever it is that they're asking you for advice about is probably a superpower that you have and you may not acknowledge yet. When I was a professor, I used to have Tons of students come to my office to ask me about what they should do with their lives and, you know, what graduate school they should go to. And I, I noticed it was a lot more students than the other professors got. And later, I realized that that was a big clue to me that I would be a good career counselor, that I would be a good life coach. You see what I mean? And let me give you another example. I had a friend, Emmy, and she felt kind of, I don't know, bad about herself. You know, she didn't have high self-esteem, and she questioned her abilities, and she called herself a measly wife. 
and mother. And, and I remember looking at her one day and saying, Emmy, you are, you've just got such an eye for style. I love the outfit that you're wearing. You know, you're really, really good at fashion. And she said, oh, come on now, everybody's good at fashion. And then we both <laughs> looked over at me and I was just wearing this horrible uh, blue and purple horizontally striped top that did nothing for me. Long story short, I ended up asking Emmy if she would help me pick up some clothes for the photograph that would be the cover of my debut CD, because by this time I was, you know, owning that I had musical superpowers. And she picked out the dresses, she styled my hair, and just it was the most beautiful, beautiful clothing that she chose for me. And it really brought out a different part of me that I wouldn't have thought of. She brought out something different in me that was wonderful, joyful. And not that long afterwards, she got a job as a buyer for a trendy clothing store. So she really did have a superpower for fashion. So those are two clues for you to think about. What do people ask you for advice about? Also, just notice how you feel when you do certain things. I think it's really interesting that Eddie talked about how the bass made him feel. You know, it sort of rumbled through his body and it shook the floors and the windows. He really resonated with that feeling. I think that's a pretty decent clue, too. When you are doing what you are meant to do with your life, you feel a lot of energy and power inside of you. So next, Eddie and I are going to talk about one of the best ways to know what your superpower is and why finding your calling is not always a straight line, but that's a good thing. Let's get into it. And then when I was coming up as a young bass player, I had, um, I actually had one of my mentors slap me upside the head and knock me off of a, a, a stool on a, on a gig. Why? <laughs> well, uh, we were, we were playing for Vic Damone. I don't know if you know who Vic Damone is, but he's like an old star and everything. But anyway, um, we were at this really swanky kind of a nightclub in, uh, in Detroit in a hotel. And uh, we were playing a, a song that required, we were reading. And, um, and this, this woman walked in and she had on a fur coat and, she, you know, <laughs> and, uh, and I looked up and I lost my place in the chart and we were doing like, the, <clears throat> and I told, and we were talking about like a 16 piece band. Oh, yeah. And he got me the gig and he said, don't mess up. <laughs> keep your eye on the music right yeah right yeah. so i'm i'm trying to find my way back and the next thing i know i'm on the floor mm. and i couldn't believe it he, he slapped me upside the head and knocked me off of my stool mm. i love that man <laughs> <laughs> you started to have a lot of fame and success but things sort of took a turn for you after a while because your journey continues from playing with motown right so can you tell us a little bit about what happened next in your life? Well, you know, um, I was um, a very popular bass player in the 70s and 80s in Hollywood, right? Mm -hmm. And there were a lot of things that came along with that. Mm -hmm. um, a lot of partying, 
I mean, you know, and I fell into some serious substance abuse. And uh, it was it was really, really bad. And um, and basically, I, I won't go through the whole story, but it it landed me in a place where um, I needed I had to seek help or I probably would not have made it. Mm. It was that bad. I mean, I'm, I'm talking about um, getting up in the morning and uh, sitting in front of the liquor store waiting for it to open. You know, that kind of stuff. And this was after I had had a great deal of success in the music business, right. you know. So, like, uh, you know, my uh, addiction to alcohol and drugs pretty much led me to to New Thought. Yeah. Say, can you say more about that? So were you in recovery? Did you have, like, an awakening? or? Yeah. yeah. What, what happened for me is, like, uh, I went into recovery just to um so i wouldn't lose what i still had yeah you know i really didn't go to stop i had it in my mind that well if i could just stop long enough later on i could go back and drink like a gentleman you know do cocaine like a gentleman <laughs> <laughs> <You know? laughs> and, then, and but i went in and, and i learned how to to you know all the catchphrases and know how to look hip looking cool and everything and then i Soon as I hit a speed bump, my program fell apart. Mm. Greatest thing that ever happened to me because when I went back, I went back humble and then I was teachable. Uh. And what happened is out of that humility, I started to look at how blessed I was to have this talent. Uh, yes. yes. And something that Big Mama told me Years before that, you know, I had her out in Vegas when I was, I was swinging pretty good. I had a nice house and everything. And I was walking my grandmother down the hall and I was showing in my gold and platinum album. Say, look, big mama. He said, they real gold. I say, no, they, say, they spray that on there. But it's, it's just because, you know, in my mind, it was because your, your grandson's a big shot now and they give him gold stuff, you know. And, and then she looked at me and she said, but what you doing for the Lord? Oh. What you doing for the Lord? That's how you got all this here. <laughs> it's a big I, influence on you. You're and I said, well, I, I don't know. She said, well, you better know. You better find out. I said, oh, my goodness. <laughs> big mama. <laughs> yeah. and, and, and see, what's ironic about it is just like the kid that was walking to school and didn't know how to play the bass. You know, big mama never saw me play piano in church she she died before i had my awakening mm. but big mama got the last laugh she, didn't she because my life is dedicated to this now i know and and it's you <laughs> great bass player and you're also a wonderful piano player and i've seen i've seen it all i played with you you are electrifying you know oh, thank you, you. you electrify Come on, you know it. <laughs> Don't you a little bit? You must feel well, it pouring through you. What, what, what I feel is that um, I'm on my purpose. I'm living my purpose. And every time I sing, I'm singing what I want to sing. You know, when I was a bass player, I mean, it was like, you, you know, you're playing with these big stars and it's fine. It's, it's, it's very good. But... My singing, the, 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 when I feel the best is when I'm praising. When I'm singing, I'm praising God. 
and that's what it's about for me. And, and, and what I feel, the way that I feel about spirit and the way I feel about God in essence, it, it, I want to share it. I think I'm here to share that. So I, and that's all I want to do. I just want to share what's been given to me because I believe it's been given to me to pass on. Yeah. You know, I think that these songs, I mean, I, they come through me, but the purpose of these songs is for you. Yeah. Yeah. When, when did you start writing songs? When you became part of New Thought or were you doing that before that? Oh, I was doing it way before that. I think I, I started writing probably about 17 years old. Okay, okay. And I've written some songs, you know, I've written some songs with New Edition. I've written things with Thelma Houston. Um, I did a, a, a group called The Boys. And uh, that, that went platinum. I had six songs on that one. And it went platinum was on Motown. Oh, wow. And, uh, yeah, so I've written, uh, I've written some songs with Herbie Hancock as well. You know, so um, I've been writing for a long time, but it was all mostly just like love type songs, you know, and romantic or shake your booty type, uh, you know, whatever. Yeah. And um, but then when I discovered New Thought, uh, my first CD was called The Answer. Mm. And um, I had found my answer and that was my first CD. And I haven't looked back and that's about seven CDs ago. Yeah, and I'm going to put a link in the show notes to your CDs because I, I listened to some of them last night. You've got nice little clips there, and it's just wonderful. All of it. It's just so beautiful. Oh, thank you. Thank you. Oh, absolutely. And I wanted to make sure that we talk about this tour that you just kicked off on the January 13th and 14th at the Unity of Naples in Florida. Yes. Uh, a Peace on Earth tour. Can you tell us a little bit more about that? And that's why I wanted to make sure I interview you now, right at the beginning of your tour, so I can let people know where you're going to be and all of that. So what what's the mission here? What are, what are you hoping for with this tour? Well, the Peace on Earth tour is pretty much about... There's a, there's a vibration in this country right now. And... Um, I think that what we see in the media is a misrepresentation of who we are. And I think that um, basically the theme of it is let peace, uh, let there be peace on earth and let it begin with me. Yeah. So basically traveling around the country with that theme in mind, and also uh, my partner, Mary Ann, uh, AKA Gabriella, she has actually uh, been uh, making these peace bracelets. And basically what we're gonna do is we're gonna sell these on tour and a, and a portion of the proceeds are gonna go be donated to the, uh, the National Hotline for Domestic Violence. So, so, so we are uh, traveling, doing a tour, but we're making a statement as well about peace and let it begin with me. Peace begins in the home, it begins in your neighborhood. And it, it begins with finding common ground. I, I wrote a song called Yes, 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 because I believe that if you presented uh, certain questions to anyone, anyone who has a family, anyone who has a child, anyone who has a grandmother or a grandfather, if you present certain questions to them, they would say yes. You know, like the, the song starts at, if it could be that we agreed to live in harmony, you know, and set aside all that divides for the sake of humanity, would you say yes? 
Hmm. You know, if it could be that we agreed to meet on common ground, plant a tree and spread the fruit of love all around, would you say yes? Hmm. I believe most people would say yes. So those are the kind of things that we're spreading out there. Um, and um, like I said, uh, my partner, Mary Ann, Gabriella and I are, um, and she's, she's handling all the bookings because it became a little bit overwhelming for me when, once I put it out there, people started reaching out from all over. So um, we're starting on the, on the East Coast here. We're going to, uh, the next one is- uh, Yeah, got it. Reno Beach in Florida. Then you're going to Unity of Nashville where I have played, that is a great place. Great musicians there. And then you're up in South Carolina, North Carolina, and New York. I know that. Yeah. Still booking, right? Still, still booking. I think we're going to come back down through Virginia. And um, well, I got friends all over. You know, my buddy Jack Fowler's down in in, uh, in New Orleans. And then we got people in Texas. And then my my grandkids are in Arizona. My my daughters and my grandkids in, in Arizona. So, um, you know, like I said, Gabrielle is trying to sort all of this out. But uh, we'll be posting it as soon as uh, those things start coming through. Oh, that's wonderful. Well, I'm also going to have a link to uh, your tour in the show notes. Actually, I wanted to dig in just a little bit more with the difference between writing love songs and writing for spirit. Because you mm -hmm. were talking about that a little bit. Can you just say a little bit more about that? Because I think that's when you're really kind of locking into your purpose, right? Yeah. What I, what I discovered, it's, it's not much difference. Um, my new thought writing is pretty much based on the writings of Ernest Holmes, Joel Goldsmith, um, you know, um, so it's more new thought based. And of course the Bible, Jesus Christ, you know, my main man, <laughs> but, uh, but it, my writings is based on that, but I'll give you a very a good example. It's one of the most popular Motown songs that could be a new thought song, right? Okay, if you feel like you can't go on and all of your hope is gone and your life filled with such confusion until happiness is just an illusion and the world around is tumbling down, reach out, reach out for me. I'll be there to give you all the love you need. Oh. I'll be there, you can always depend on me. Oh my God. Right? <laughs> Oh my God, now I'm hearing that song really differently in my mind. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. When you feel the world has grown cold and you're drifting out all on your own and you need a hand to hold, instead of saying, darling, it says, my child, reach out, reach out, I'll be there. Mm. To give you all the love you need, I'll be there. You can always depend on me. Mm. So, what I've, so what I've done is I've taken the Motown and I've just taken the beat and just kind of, <laughs> no, I'm glad you said that because when I was listening to your music last night, I was thinking it still has a Motown feel to it. I, yeah, I'm yeah. hearing it. The background vocals. Right. Got that it's gospel that. and R&B pretty much. Yes, that's what I thought. That's really good. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, just sort of brought them together. Well, well, with respect to the the listeners, I was just wondering from your own experience, do you have any advice you could give for um finding out what your calling is or finding out what a gift is. I mean, you had some help, you know, your grandmother saw who you were, yeah. but just, yeah. you know, do you have any kind of advice you could give others like what to find out what your calling is? Well, I don't have any advice, but I do have an observation. 
Okay. And that observation is whatever you're doing and time stands still when you're doing it. Like you're doing it and, and you lose track of time. And it's something positive, of course, you know. Um, that will point you in the direction of what you're called to do. Now, a lot of times, you know, we have to be realistic. I mean, what you're called to do may not be bringing you in money. Yeah, it's true. And you can't insist on it bringing you in money, especially if it's something that you don't have any experience at. But at the same time, you know, if that's what you, you're called to do, and this could be anything, it'd be playing an instrument, it could be art, it could be writing or whatever, whatever you're called to do, just etch out time enough to keep that as a, as a hobby until you get good enough to turn it into something that could produce some income, you know, but, but, but there's no need to, to struggle and suffer. <laughs> you know what I mean? So, I mean, it's, it's just a, a, a matter of moderation and in, in time management and stuff, you know. Mm -hmm. No, I think that's great advice. That's that's absolutely true. Time disappears when you're doing something that you're made to do. In, in my case, um, I had so many people around me that did so many things. Uh, when I was in the studio, I was around great arrangers, great producers, great engineers, all these people. And I was just like a sponge. I would suck off of everybody. Anything. When I was in the studio with Quincy Jones, I mean, I had to have been like really annoying because I stuck to him like, <laughs> I was like I was, everything he did. I watched what he said to people, how he said it. I watched every single thing that he did because I thought that I was in the studio with, you know, with a God. <laughs> I mean, you know what I'm I'm talking about, uh, because we, we all are the place where God shows up. But, you know, Quincy Jones was an extraordinary uh, producer and just uh, a genius, as far as I'm concerned. And uh, I learned so much. And I only played on one album for him. Uh, that's Patty Austin and James Ingram. But I learned so much from him just working with him on that one one album. Can you give an example of something you learned from him? Oh yeah, absolutely. Uh, there's so many things, but okay. The, the, the song "Baby Come to Me," right? Uh, Baby, come to me. Let me. Da, da, da. You, I don't know if you're familiar with that song, but it was a real popular song back in the I think the '80s or '90s or something. Anyway, uh, the, he came in with a chart. No, it, it it had a chart, and but we overdubbed it because he recorded part of it in New York with Richard T. So he brings the, the tape to uh, California and all it is is strings in a click track, right? Yeah. So he's got John Robinson on drums. He's got Greg Filling Gaines on piano. I'm on bass. He's got Steve Lukather on guitar, uh, Paul Jackson on guitar, um, Mike Boddicker on synthesizers. I mean, it's like a, the, the A-team. And we're overdubbing with a click and strings, okay. But these guys are so good. That taught me that it's possible if the musicians are good enough, they'll play to anything and make it sound good. Because when we recorded Baby Come To Me, that was a click track of strings when it started. Wow. Right? Okay, another thing I learned. It, it, was a, a, it wasn't a written out like a lot of things are. 
it was just a chord sheet. So you had to sort of feel what it was doing. Patty Austin and James Ingram were at the session and they were singing the song as we were uh, recording it, right? Okay, so I'm playing, um, uh, well, I'm playing Baby Come To Me. I'm playing long notes, dude, baby, come to me. I'm I'm trying to copy what they're doing. They're, they're doing a the legato and I'm playing the bass like that. And then when they say, looking back in time, when I was, I was a dunk, da dunk, da dunk, I was, you know, bouncing with them. He said, okay, switch it. He said, you got it all wrong. He says, when they're doing Baby Come To Me, that's when I wanted to bounce. He says, that's when you need the energy. That's where the chorus is. When they do the verse, that's when I want you to lay the notes out nice and clean. Don't do too much action in there. Let the, it made total sense to me. I had it totally turned around. I had the right concept, but I had it turned around. And from then on, I followed that pattern on every song that I do. Wow. Every single song. You know, when it gets to the, when you're doing the chorus, you bounce it. But when you get to the verse, mm, right. yeah, yeah. Little things like that, you know? So, I mean, and there's, there's a lot of other things, but uh, that's, that's what stands out in my mind the most. I love that story. Thank you. <laughs> any, any other thing you want to share before we leave? Yes. Anything, anything is possible when you believe. And everybody is the place where God shows up and that's where your miracles are gonna come from because life is about people and what you create with them. It's not about doing it yourself, you know? And when you connect with people, you grow, you learn. I think we found that out during COVID, how important it is for connection, you know? But that's what I have to say. You know, we all are the place where God shows up and life is about people and what we create with them. That was super inspiring. Thank you so much, Eddie. The first thing I wanted to point out to you, dear listeners, is that time disappearing is a really strong indicator that you have discovered your superpower. And it's different for different people. For Eddie, it's playing music. For you, it could be writing or coding or cooking or organizing or painting. I worked with a burned out executive once who was trying to find a hobby to balance out her life. And at first she thought it should be writing because her father was a writer, but she kept looking at the clock when she was writing and it was just fits and starts and it wasn't really working. So I asked her to experiment with other creative outlets and she tried quite a few, but she discovered by accident that it was painting. She set up her easel and her paints in the attic, and when she would come home from work, she would go up there and paint. But she would not emerge from the attic for hours. She would completely miss dinner, which luckily for her, her husband made for her. And when she came down, blissed out from being in the zone, he would put her dinner in the oven and warm it up. That's how she discovered that painting was her superpower because it put her in the moment she didn't even notice the hours go by. The same is true for you. It's a great clue. So once you figure out what your superpowers are, perfecting them, getting better and better at them is important because even though these gifts are natural, for us to get the most out of them, we want to learn how to take them up a level. 
So think about taking classes or finding a mentor or even watching YouTube videos to boost your abilities. Remember, Eddie didn't want to learn how to read music, but once he did, it gave him the keys to the kingdom. And I also wanted to point out that, you know, Eddie found another tribe that he belongs to. And that tribe is New Thought Philosophy, Science of Mind, and Unity Churches. As you get older, you get to choose your tribes. So if you're like me or many of the clients I've worked with whose initial tribes didn't support them, you can find better fitting tribes that do support who you truly are. And you'll know when you've done this because you will have the feeling of belonging. Not only will you have found the right people, but you'll be aligning yourself with your calling. And Eddie is so right to point out that working with others in harmony to make the world a better place is about the highest calling that you could achieve. Now, I've included links to the dates of his Peace on Earth tour and his albums if you want to give them a listen. I would. They're really, really good. I hope you check them out because he's the real deal. Thank you so much, Eddie, for sharing your wisdom with us today. Thank you for listening to Your True Calling. Please leave a review and share it with your friends. From my website, yourtruecalling.org, you can follow me on social media, learn more about my music and my coaching, contact me to find your superpowers live on the air, and help me produce future episodes by funding me on Patreon.